This series of the For All Mankind podcast is brought to you by the Gardner Family Apothecary. Caring for your sensitive skin with their Elav and Ovel solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel Silcox Base to Elav's Sensitive Beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of their news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro. Hello and welcome to Formal Kind the Podcast. Today's guest is a certified sleep consultant and a mum to Kate, Patrick and Quinn. It's Erica Hargaden, also known as Bob Oak Sleep Solutions. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? Not too bad, thankfully. Not too bad in County Kildare today. And a sunny day. And a sunny day. And actually a beautiful day. A gorgeous evening and a gorgeous sunset. It was fabulous here. It's nice to feel a little bit of heat on our bones at the moment. We all need it. And Erica, when you say sunset there, do you know what actually brought me back to? It was the early days of when myself and Ben had Alice and we realised how early kids go to bed. And we kind of felt nobody told us this, that we had these kind of naive thoughts of like beach walks and, you know, buggy strolls at like seven, and eight in the evening. And not that you'd be tucking your kids into bed so early and there was bad times and, you know, book reading and teeth brushing. And yeah, that was actually one of the... the yeah, the an early realisation. Or on oh, the other side is... of it, how early <laughs> the mornings you might see, Pamela, the amount of sunrises that you might see that you never exactly. thought you'd ever, yes. ever see. <laughs> I think yeah. everybody has that one. More so than the evenings, they see the sun, the sunrise. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the sun rainbow, the, the morning rainbow, as Alice yeah. likes to call it. Oh, cute. That's cute. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> Um, so you are a sleep consultant I um, and your interest in sleep came from your eldest, your, your kind of the early days of Quinn. Yes, um, the early days of Quinn, uh, <laughs> my sleep ninja, as I very jovially refer to him. Yeah, he didn't sleep. Yeah, because I, I was uh, watching one of your stories and you were saying that like at seven months, he was still waking up to 12 times a night after yeah. train feed. Like that's, it was chronic. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty like breaking. Yeah, it was chronic. So he he was a very agitated baby even before birth. Like he he tried to come at five weeks uh, before he was due and somehow they managed to stop that happening. And he came uh, three weeks, uh, two weeks later, three weeks early, and he wasn't a particularly small baby or anything. Like he was just under seven pounds, but he was always agitated. He was just the type of baby that you couldn't pacify, never kind of happy in himself. And I, I guess first time mammy, I, I don't know. I thought maybe it was pretty normal. He, he rarely slept. He you know, very difficult to handle, very difficult to feed, you know, just difficult. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how it felt to me. And when I look back over those days, that's what I remember. I remember it being difficult. And that's terrible, I think, from a a first time mum perspective to look back. And but I don't feel any guilt about that because I know I wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. This was my natural feelings about the situation it it felt difficult and I remember feeding him one day and realizing that he squealed after every feed I just remember being in the house on my own it was a recession time in Ireland when he was born it was 2009 so we all remember what would happened in 2008 and he was born in 2009 and I was on my own quite a lot my husband was working every hour that God gave to try and keep the wolf from the door as I say and he he was just squealing after every feed I couldn't lie him down and I remember phoning the GP and you know asking about reflux mm-hmm. 
And is he vomiting? No, no, he's not vomiting. Well, then he doesn't have reflux. It's like, well, yeah. I've, you know, and I was doing a little bit of reading and Googling, I suppose. And as I was you coming, do. As you do. And yeah. we all do. And actually, when I had Quinn, iPhones had only just started. And I didn't have an iPhone. We had, like, dial-up internet in the house. Would you believe that? Like, he's 11. So, I'm like, honestly, terrible. We didn't have Wi-Fi or proper broadband or anything. But anyway, uh, I was Googling all around me and came across silent reflux. And I honestly self-diagnosed the child with silent reflux. And that really helped the situation. But his sleep never got any better. His sleep never settled down. So even though he was feeding much, much better, taking full feeds, you know, when we got him onto solids, really taking solids very, very well. Like I hadn't given him medication. I'd given him Gaviscon. And, you know, when he was getting formula, we had moved over to a comfort formula. There wasn't any reflux formulas back then as there is now. But he was feeding really, really well. But when I would put him down for naps during the day, he would sleep for 35 minutes and boom, he was awake. And when I would put him down at night, he would wake every one to two hours all night long. It was, it was really, really intense. And I suppose I was trying to protect my husband who was working really, really hard at the time. It was a very difficult time for for him and I was taking it all on. And I guess I felt that was my role. Do you know? That was my role as a woman. That's what I should be able to handle this. I should be fine. And but I remember when it all started to crumble. I remember that feeling of I can't do this. I was just so sleep deprived. I was a walking zombie and I became very, very insular. And that's not me. I'm quite an outward person. You know, I would talk to absolutely anybody. And like I would go up to our local um, shopping centre and like have a panic attack and have to come back down the town again with the buggy. Like I just couldn't bear to be around people. I felt like I was failing I felt like I was doing everything wrong and like everywhere I turned for help, there was none. So like I, you know, went to my doctor and said like, well, how can I help Quinn to sleep better? Well, is he taking full feeds and is he doing this and is he doing that? And he was doing all these things, but he wasn't sleeping. Yeah. So like he was technically like ticking the He was ticking all the boxes. He's thriving. He's developing. He's taking full feeds. Well, you know, this is what babies do. And I was like, no, this this couldn't be right. Like, this couldn't be right. And I was turning around similarly to my public health nurse. I was getting the same, the same back at me. In fact, I recall being one sentence. Did I not realize that this is what babies do? And I was like, oh, my God, you might as well have just slapped me in the face and told me that I'm useless. Yeah, it really, really tough time. And isn't it unreal how a sentence like that can be literally like the straw that breaks the camel's back? It's like if you've reached out to the support unit that is there for you, you know, that is, you know, from the HSC and and in your locality. And that's the lack of support. It's uh, it's yeah. And I suppose that's, you know, I, I, I hear that and hearing, you know, how you felt kind of so on your alone own. yeah and I think alone. about now and mums now who don't oh. have all of the groups that you'd normally have and I suppose the difference is that you have podcasts like this and you've got Facebook groups and I think there's such a community of mums on Instagram yes that you kind of go oh I'm not on my own but god it breaks my heart to think of anyone at home yeah that's getting to- doors just closed on them when there's so when they need that support I can I can kind of actually relate to it a little bit but only because I nearly went into myself and closed the world off to me I didn't want to go to the mum and baby groups because I felt like a complete failure all, all the mo- I was looking around me and all the mums around me and they were all thriving or or I thought they were yeah. thriving and I felt like I was a failure because I, I, I wasn't thriving and I wasn't loving this situation. I, I really wasn't at all loving it. I felt like I wasn't bonding with Quinn. I felt like I wasn't um a good mum. 
my marriage was being affected. Like Liam and I were only married a year when when we had Quinn, and I felt like you know I was moving home to Cavan. You know, but I, I, why would I stay in County Kildare with this man who hates me and I, I can't get this baby to do anything? And do, I just felt so at a loss, and I can totally empathise with the mammies now because. They don't have access to that village, that mm-hmm. community that is involved in raising children. You know, your grandmother, your mother, your auntie, your sisters-in-law, your friends. Yeah. The woman you meet in the supermarket who tells you the baby is gorgeous. Yeah. Like all of that is gone. You, you wouldn't totally. even dare look in at a buggy now in the supermarket. You just yeah. put your mask on and you keep going. But... You know, there is definitely ways and means of parents reaching out. Like, like I know myself, I get so, I would say I get hundreds of messages on my Instagram every week. Hundreds of them. And I will try to reply as to as many of them as I possibly can. Because I know what it feels like to maybe reach out and maybe not get anything back or not get something positive back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? To get something back, like anything, yeah. any little steer. You know, sometimes Some all parents need is just, but sometimes all you need is a steer, a steer yeah. in the right direction. And that will send you down the right path, you know? And then for you, was it like a, the turning point is when your mum came. Yes, my mum came to visit. Um, I'm originally from Cavan and my mum would, would come down. When Quinn was born, my mother lost her her mother three days later. So when when he was a, a small baby, she was grieving and yeah. she, you know, she wasn't around. She was grieving the loss of her own mum, who she was extremely close to. And it wasn't really until Quinn was probably five or six months old that she started to come to visit us and she started maybe to let herself out again, you know, after yeah. her own her own loss. And it was at that point when he was about seven or eight months old, she came on a visit and she said what opened the door to her was a statue of her daughter, grey and lifeless. And all I did was cry. I Even now, I, when I say it and I think back on it, I get choked up. That feeling goes into the back of my throat because I really remember that day. I remember opening the door. I had him in my arms. I hadn't slept again. I hadn't left the house, I don't think, in days. Um, you know, Liam was bringing home the shopping, you know, whenever we needed stuff. And I would have always been the type of girl who dressed myself up and put my face on and, you know, put a good outfit together like I was in my pyjamas. Like, Mammy wouldn't have ever seen me like that. And she's not that type of woman herself. So I, you know, the way you do yeah. learn from, you know, the people who raise you and... She did for me what I needed. She took him and she said, go to bed, go to bed, Eric, you need to sleep now, you know. And I slept for 12 hours. I knew he was in safe hands. And like we were, we're, we're living in a different house now, but the house was small. So if he was awake at night, I, I, I didn't hear a thing. I'm sure he was awake all night and doing nothing differently for her than he did for me. Um, but when the next morning came, she sat me down with a very strong cup of coffee and just said to me, Erica, there's nothing wrong with you because, you know, everybody was telling me I was depressed and everybody was telling me that I had postnatal depression and every and, and I did. I definitely did. But I would feel that it was very much related to sleep deprivation. Yeah. So she said there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong with Quinn Quinn just hasn't learned how to sleep yet and I was talking to your father and I'm going to stay for a few weeks and we are going to get this sorted and she she did for me what I now do for families and she stayed with me for two or three weeks now I don't stay with families for two or three weeks but I work with them for that time and we worked on his sleep and she gave me a gift she gave me the gift of sleep like she really really did I never looked back within within a few weeks he was thriving he was sleeping 12 hour nights he was absolutely sculling bottles and sculling his solids way more than he ever had previously he started to uh, crawl and he had made no attempts at it prior to that he was thriving and I was thriving. I started to live again. 
like I couldn't even have envisaged going back to work. I was, I was working in in a local race course at that time, and I I kept saying to Liam, "There's no way I can go back to work. There's no way I go back to work." Like two months later, I was back at work. Yeah, because I was able to function exactly. Yeah, I wasn't previously. I wasn't even remotely functioning. I was just awake. I was I was awake, but like dying inside from sleep deprivation. And like the lack of sleep and, you know, it's, it's actually, it's, there's two things. One is that was always a fear of mine when I was um, pregnant with Alice that would I survive on very little sleep? I know what I need and I know sleep, I need sleep. I can, I can forego food, I can forego a lot. But for me, I need if, even like five to six hours. That's, you know, and in a world sometimes with a baby, that, like that's asking a yeah. lot. Um so it was a concern and one thing I will you will never see me do I will never share a meme about mothers not sleeping I do not find it one bit funny I just no, I, I don't think either. do you know making light of women being absolutely and utterly exhausted and broken there is nothing funny about it because it's it's the start of where you kind your your mental health starts to get affected and I think if we are so you know, positive around talking about mental health and helping people around with their mental health. I think, you know, women being walking around like zombies, you wouldn't put, share a meme about someone's mental health as, as a joke as you would someone's exhaustion. I see them as almost the same thing. Um, I completely agree with you. I think that um, the I do think the impact of sleep deprivation on mental health is not discussed enough. Yeah. And how sleep deprivation can actually be one of the first stepping stones towards, you know, a shift to poor mental health and a shift towards struggling, yeah. you know, struggling with yourself, struggling with, you know, simple day to day tasks and then going down the road into depression and really feeling despair and not able to get out of it. And I do think that there's a lot of stigma and guilt around mothers who, if you could see me now, I'm doing the inverted commas thing, who should be so happy with the birth of their really wanted child. Mm-hmm. There's there's stigma still around the fact that women aren't always like really feeling that joy because they is postnatal depression and it can be triggered by so many different things the chemical hormone changes that happen at birth the sleep deprivation the sheer pressure that comes with having children yeah. i don't think that is discussed enough i no. really really don't no and i even remember like you talked there about the the chemical shift to after birth i actually was like driving one day with alice and I just saw a, a woman in a pram and I just stopped at her across the road and it whatever it was about my that gesture do you know I kind of thought to myself something has changed in me I now see things yeah. totally different yeah you and do you do your world shifts you know and, and yeah. some, you know and as well as was something I learned early motherhood is that you can have joy for the birth of your child but you can also be miserable in that situation. Like you can have I those two feelings. That. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Can totally run tandem and that is totally okay because as was with me and Alice and, and Peter, like they were both fertility babies. They were both conceived by IUI. So they were very much wanted babies. But yeah. That's not to say I don't have a day where I go, oh my God, these kids are driving me demented. But I'm still joyful that I have them. So it's, you know, it's not one or the other. And I think there is a little bit that... People think, oh, I can't feel this because I really I should be happy. It's like, no, it's okay. You can have that. You can have those moments and days where you go, oh, lads, um, and still look at your child with like immense love. You know, that's totally, you know, it's. I love the way you've put that because that is extremely real. I love and adore my children, but did I love and adore every day of this lockdown experience <laughs> with them? Absolutely not. Um, uh, when they were babies and toddlers, definitely my experience with Quinn was a, was a fraught one. With Kate and Patrick, not as much, 
But every day was not blissful. And 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 in each hour, there could have been mm-hmm. bliss and there could have been sheer de- de- desolation in the same hour. Like, that's, that is the way with... I think it's the way with motherhood. It really is a roller coaster of emotions and, yeah. and, and throughout the day, every day. Yeah. And I think, you know, the roller coaster will feel far more intense if you're approaching it exhausted. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize how high sleep needs I was actually until I had children I really actually didn't realize it at all because I'd never experienced sleep deprivation like sure I'd gone nights out and I'd done all-nighters for college and I had done all of those things but I, I never realized how much sleep I need like I would be an eight hour girl every single night like seven days a week now yeah um I play a, a place a very very high emphasis on sleep in our home with my my children and my family, but I get I thought because I had read all of the books before my child came that I was equipped for what would happen, and that simply was not the case. He did not do what the book said. He didn't. Yeah. He wasn't even close to it. He, he he there was no nothing that could tell me how to how to handle it at all and i suppose the the sleep deprivation then made everything seem much foggier mm-hmm. and it was nearly like wading through soup every day you know it, it was it was much harder it was like it was like a constant fog yeah real constant fog do you know and obviously when your when your mom was there she gave you let's say like the toolkit to help you and Quinn to get him to sleep so when you had Kate and Patrick you had I suppose gained that experience and knowledge I had but I had also in my experience with Quinn awakened a passion for understanding sleep I wanted to understand it I wanted to understand the why Mm -hmm. why did this happen with Quinn and how could I maybe try and avoid it happening with further children because we always wanted three children I wanted to have more but I didn't want to experience or I suppose that's maybe the wrong way to put it I wanted to try and avoid experiencing what I had experienced previously because obviously with each child you don't know what lies ahead you know anything could happen so I read absolutely everything I could get my hands on everything you know I have books on my shelf behind me that were reading material for my certification that I had already read six years previously I everything I ordered everything off Amazon that I could find about sleep all of the big sleep names out of the U.S. I was ordering their books and those books weren't available on the shelves here and there are a lot of doctor written books um my every there was anything in the papers my husband would cut it out and bring it home to me um anything on the news any documentaries anything anything out there I was reading it and I was in I was in a a job for 10 years straight before I I broke out and uh, do what I do now and um people would come into the office and they'd, you know, complain because we all complain about our kids, right? Yeah. You know, they complain oh, yeah. about their kids and they complain about them not sleeping or complain about them doing whatever. And I'd go, oh, well, come here, you know, Jimmy, tell me what's going on. Come, sit down. It was an open plan office. Tell me what's going on with your child. Sit down there. This is when you were allowed to sit beside people that you didn't know. <laughs> and um, he'd tell me what's going on. And I'd say, well, uh, you tell your wife I said to do X, Y and Z. And he'd go, write that down for me, Erica, and I'd write it down. And he'd come back into the office for a meeting a month later and he'd say, that worked. And I'd say, what worked? He'd say, that, that worked with, you know, Isabel's sleep. And I'd be like, all oh, right, that's great. But that kept happening. So that was happening with friends, that was happening with family, that was happening with acquaintances. So that was all through having my own children as well, which I had my ups and downs with their sleep, but I very much understood the development and the maturity around sleep that happens and I was able to work through it I was able to kind of be very flexible about it I remember when I had Kate 
the flexibility that I placed around her schedule because I knew what wake periods were long before the term wake period was been used on social media in Ireland to talk about sleep. And everybody pretty much knows what a wake period is now yeah. when you're talking about child sleep. I was doing that with her um, and she's nine now. Um, and she slept through the night when she was seven weeks. So from like going down to bed at seven o'clock, having a dream feed at half ten and sleeping right through after that. She was just, it was bliss compared to what we'd had with Quinn. Yeah. It was different house, totally different house, different experience. I was so much happier. I was thriving. You know, I could think about having people come to the house. It was actually beautiful having her you know, having my girl and feeling like I understood her and that I was able to be that that mammy yeah. for her, do you know? And when I went on, on to have Patrick, who's now five and is my little devil, he's just <laughs> bonkers. He he was a little bit more like Quinn, a little bit refluxy, uh, you know, high high needs baby, but I, I got him. I, I I understood him. I was able to read him. I could get his wake periods. I I was able to understand what he needed. Now, it didn't, n- not every day. Like, it wasn't kumbaya, you know, ukuleles yeah. going in the background <laughs> every day. There was mayhem days too. But he, he, was, he did really well. Like, by three months, he was sleeping through the night. Like, really, really well. Um, I was back to work actually when he was 12 weeks old so and I didn't force it there wasn't because there isn't any forcing with sleep because it is a maturity thing but he was sleeping through the night when I went back to work and um, that was definitely a gift with him and he is my lowest sleep needs child he will sleep the least in the house out of all of the children but sleeps very well even though he sleeps the least and you know, you're talking there about like going back to work and everything. And that's, as I was saying to you kind of just before we were recording, it's if you've got a, a child as well with reflux and, you know, colic and you you mm. have the thought of, oh, I have to go back to work. And, you know, you can be tired at home and, you you know, you can try and get a cat nap here and there. But the pressure then of going back to work and if you do go back to work at, you know, what is it's actually technically like five and a half months you know it's the yes. six months mark like you're you are kind of like oh it's the, it's such a dread you know if if you know if the baby is totally totally it is a dread because you you have to perform at work yeah you know you have to and that brain uh, function the, needs to be sparking yeah you do your brain function has to spark and you have to be nice yeah you can't you can't <laughs> be insolent with your colleagues even though you might be feeling like you want you know because sleep deprivation doesn't make you tolerate people it makes you like not tolerate anybody so yeah going back to work and being sleep deprived and also having the added layer of you know caring for a child on top of all the other layers that we yeah. have in our life i call this the mental load because when you have a child, your mental load, I feel, triples. Whatever it was prior to having baby, add in like 16 more layers. That's, you know, what you've got when you have a baby. So trying to do that while sleep deprived. Yeah, it's it's definitely pressure. And I would find the mums that contact me, generally it's either right before they go back to work or they're back to work a few months and kind of maybe feeling like this isn't sustainable i can't keep this up now something's something needs to change um they're generally the two sides of it kind of around five months and kind of around nine months they would be the highest concentration of babies that i would see yeah and your the sleep solutions that you offer, like how would you describe your method? Uh, I have five of them. I don't. I don't actually have a method, Pamela. I I I didn't reinvent the wheel with this. I I have my seven steps to better sleep, and these are like seven core things that I firmly believe need to be in place. They're kind of categories of things. There's seven things that have to be ticked off 
for a baby to be maybe reaching its family sleep goals. Um, and I go through those in detail with the parents who work with me and they're, they're really well detailed in my online sleep program, the sleep series. But when parents come to me, they, they don't have a one size fits all. I'm not going to them. This is how it needs to be or it won't work. I will say to them, these are the range of things that we can do. These are the range of ways we can make change around your baby's sleep. These are the things I would recommend. How do you feel about that? And we talk about how they feel about that. I think that is the most important factor. Working on sleep is very emotive. Very, very emotive thing with, with parents and children. Because if you make change around a baby's sleep, there's going to be frustration. Mm -hmm. Baby's going to be frustrated and we need to name that. We need to say that your baby is going to be frustrated. They are going to possibly be upset. And how you work through that is how you work on sleep. So you'll hear a lot of people talking about working on sleep. That's the piece. How you choose to get through that frustration and out the other side to your baby having their own skills around sleep and not necessarily dependent on something else to put them to sleep. So I would look at everything from low parental involvement to moderate parental involvement to high parental involvement. And I would find that parents at the moment would veer towards moderate to high parental involvement methods. But that doesn't mean to say that I don't have parents with low as well. I do. And everything in between. Sometimes I will amalgamate two methods into one method to try and figure out a, a method that works for the family in front of me so that they have something that they can follow through with and be consistent with. Yeah. And I, and I have, you know, I've, I've a big group of friends and, and, you know, if you put a question out there of anything, you know, from... Um, yeah. I actually remember like from buying a baby blanket to, you know, sleep, getting sleep and working around it and the difference of the input of the parent of no, absolutely pop them into the cot, walk out the door, they'll cry a bit, they'll be grand to a parent who's very much, no, I'm, I'm you know, it's kind of stay in support, sit with them or, yeah. and everyone is doing the right thing for them. You know, it's and if you're doing the right thing for you, you're doing the right thing for your child. Yeah, I I believe that. I really truly believe that. And Eric, in an ideal world, you know, if there's someone at home and the baby's unsettled, like at what point should they contact you? You know, listen, you can work on sleep from coming home from the hospital. That's the truth. If you if you have a home birth, you can work on sleep from the moment you have your baby. That's the truth. You can work on sleep um, from very, very early. But I would say the optimum time to really start putting in place those core sleep foundations is between four and six months. I don't work with families one to one until baby is six months plus. But my sleep series programs start from newborn um, and the four to six month program is all about that foundations piece, that understanding when your child's sleep just starts to mature, because that's actually what the four month sleep regression is. Yeah. It's a massive developmental progression around sleep for your child. It's the formation of circadian rhythms and that governs our wake sleep cycles. There's a bit of the science. But so I feel I actually try and turn that on its head and make that into a positive change that parents can use to bring sleep skills to their child. And that's what's covered off in, in all of the programs, to be honest, to rather than fear it, to understand it. Yeah. And, you know, from your experience, I think you've helped over a thousand families now. Um, oh, it's more. <laughs> it's more. It's more. Um, okay. Last count um, over the last three years, uh, through one-to-ones and sleep series it's actually now two and a half oh thousand God. families yeah so now you've two and a half yeah. thousand families sleeping so much better <laughs> yeah two and a half thousand families in 24 countries that's, that's amazing the last count. yeah it's 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 huge it's amazing i 
And now an awful lot of those would be via the online sleep program because that is so accessible, right? And, yeah. And like you literally log in and you get started. So we have, I think, 1,700 families using that program now, uh, maybe slightly more at this stage, last count. Um, and then they would be everywhere from Ireland to the UK to the US to Australia God, I think we had someone in Buenos Aires, but a lot of them seem to be Irish people living abroad mm -hmm. who are maybe reaching back to a little bit of home yeah. to help them help them solve a sleep challenge. So. And is there one thing that you see time again and again that you go, oh, yeah. Now, I was saying to you earlier, I was like, <laughs> you know, we were just talking about Peter's sleep and you're like, how do you put him down? And I was like, oh, yeah, we sing, we stroke his face. And, you know, as I'm saying it, I'm like, I know I should be doing this, but here I am doing it anyway. <laughs> See, I, I also like to say this. There is no wrong until it, it, it until there's something going wrong. Yeah. And there's only something going wrong if you feel there's something going wrong. Like, remember, I felt my situation was fraught with Quinn. The next mother sitting beside me might have been going through exactly the same thing and felt absolutely fine. So do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't like to use wrongs or rights or, or any of those kind of things. But generally, Pamela, what happens is I I hear what mammy, generally it's a mammy that contacts me, by the way. It's rarely daddies, but I do get the odd daddy contacting me. But I hear the mammy and... I'm able to wade through the story to actually get the facts around what really is happening around the little one's sleep. And that was maybe a little bit of what we had off air. We we were talking about it and I just had a way of asking the question that unearths what the problem might be. Do you know? Yeah. Um, typically it's dependency and typically also inconsistency. So like doing one thing one night, another thing another night, a different thing the next night throw in the kitchen sink at it but nothing is sticking yeah do you know so usually it's one or the other you know kind of something around that and usually it's just getting really consistent around a little bit of change and you know a couple of weeks and nights are really different napping is a whole other ball game napping is um, a little bit harder to come together when it comes to working on, on child sleep. You could have absolutely beautiful consolidated nights and you could have still two 45 minute naps a day. So napping takes a little bit more work, takes a bit more time. And do you think with people being at home more the last year that putting structure and sleep and napping has, you know, you have the opportunity versus like, so when I was at Alice and Peter, you know, it was it's like, night and day like their social life and their their the classes like there was no swimming class there's no massage class there's no baby sensory classes for Peter so I always felt her I was kind of always on the go and get I was, you know she'd always get her nap in yeah but with Peter there's been nothing now that's not to say his napping is great but there's more of an opportunity because you're at home Do you, have you found that yeah, I have. I found it kind of two pronged, to be honest. I think that, yes, this whole experience in the pandemic has given families the opportunity maybe to focus in on routine because they are home an awful lot more and it has allowed them to have the time to put structure on things. They're not coming and going to, you know, baby yoga and Pilates yeah. and all the rest. There's nothing wrong with those things. Like we'd all die for a Pilates class at the moment. Like I would absolutely <laughs> love to lie on a mat that a hundred other people have laid on before me. Do you know, like, let's yeah. face it, we would, right? Um, But there's also the other side of parents fearing um, going back to a sense of normal and their yeah. child not coping with it. Yeah. And not the, the lockdown baby, that the baby won't know how to deal with other people, won't know how to, won't be able to nap outside of the cot. So that whole maybe 80, 20 flexibility that I like to see around routine isn't there. It seems to be routine or nothing. Okay. There's not a there's not that nice flexible piece. Like I yeah. love to see mums, you know, when we used to be able to travel outside for five kilometers, but I used to love to see mums in Dundrum 
walking with the prams and their baby asleep in the buggy. I'm fascinated I, I by those people. I would love to see that. I'm absolutely well, fascinated by it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I was saying to you, Alice is a mighty sleeper, but my God, from consistency of her being in a cot in a dark room, there is not a chance that child would not for you in a buggy. Just not an see, I, I would have had that with Quinn. Quinn, would, once we worked on Quinn's sleep, like I became obsessed with like naps in the cot, naps in the cot. So he wouldn't sleep in the buggy at all. Whereas Kate did. Kate would have slept absolutely anywhere because I engineered that. Yeah. And that's... Anywhere. Like... Anywhere. It is, now I'm like, oh, I really wish she... Like now her nap is only an hour. But like there there was a time there where it was like a two yeah. hour nap and you I always had it in my head, Oh, I have to be home for one o'clock because I have to put her into bed or you have to put her into bed. You know? Yeah. Um and that's the thing, you can feel quite tied totally. by routine. Like you can and, and let's let's say that out loud. Yeah. You can feel tied by routine. But I don't think that parents either should fear routine. But I do think that everybody should try and take that flexibility on it. That eighty twenty, that like you know, if you're five days a week napping in the cot and two days a week out and about, so be it. Yeah. So be it. And for parents of like two children, like your situation, oh, yeah. where you've got like a toddler maybe being dropped to preschool and a baby who has to sleep in the car because it coincides with the school run. Yeah. That's okay, girls. That is life. Yeah. And that that child will be absolutely fine. It will be all fine. But I think we've... This isn't real life what we're living at the minute. Yeah. You know, so... I, we will all get back to normal. Children will socialise again. Babies will go to baby sensory again. And we will get back to napping on the go and naps and cots being combined into routines. It will come round. It will. And another thing I was going to, you know, there's room sharing. I, you know, you see a lot of people going, if yeah. they What is your thoughts on that? I don't believe in putting um, unsettled sleepers in with good sleepers um, or or thinking that putting an unsettled sleeper in with a good sleeper will help the unsettled sleeper sleep, if that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> uh, or putting two unsettled sleepers together and thinking that that's going to solve the problem. It won't. It's going to make the problem worse. Um, I would encourage parents to not room share children until the youngest child is at a minimum three. Now, obviously, circumstances come into this, Pamela. Some people don't live in a house big enough to have everybody in in different rooms, right? And that's, you know, that's that's circumstances. I I like to make sure that both children are getting their sleep opportunity. And if one child is going to prove difficult, it is it's better to keep them separated Um, and and definitely not until the youngest is three. That that would be my take on it. Um, my children all sleep independently. They have their own rooms. Um, but my two boys really want to wanted to sleep together. Now it's since passed. They're over it now. But at the time, Patrick was getting up every single day at six. That was his like alarm clock up at six. That was that's him. That he's the lowest sleep needs child. Whereas Quinn is nearly twelve and would still sleep twelve hours at night. And I was not going to jeopardise Quinn's sleep by putting him in with somebody who was going to jump on top of him at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I, I, even though they really wanted it, I knew as a parent, this isn't the right thing for my child, for Quinn. It's not the right thing for Quinn and I'm not going to do that to him. And I'm going to do a quick fire round with you on, oh, go on. Sleep, sleep aids. <laughs> okay. Oh, go on. Okay. <laughs> pop quiz. Pop exactly. Quiz. Yeah. Soothers. <laughs> oh, soothers are fine once there is not a high dependency on them. If you're replugging soothers every two hours at night, there's a high dependency. And I would encourage parents to look at maybe removing the soother for sleep or getting the baby to replug them themselves. So if a baby can self feed, they can replug their own soother once it's put back into their hand. White noise. White noise is very useful at the newborn phase. Um, if you do decide that you're going to use white noise beyond the newborn phase, you need to play it continuously through all sleep phases. 
And by continuous like me, I mean all night long and all through the nap. If it stops after 20 minutes, you might as well not use it. Mobiles. No. Light projectings on ceilings. No. <laughs> yeah, that's my quick fire round. No. Uh, there's uh, there was one. Oh, uh, night lights. Everyone oh, always yes. asks about night lights. Um, so night lights are fine, but not blue or white. Uh, red, amber, or orange light. A blue and white light can draw a child out of sleep. Oh. Okay. And and an adult actually. It's kind of the same principle as, as like the blue the, light the on phone. Phones. Yeah. Okay, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And teething is obviously a huge thing around sleep. Yes, teething is. Um I love a product that isn't always available in, Ar- in Ireland called Cal Gel. I think everybody may have heard of it. It's made by the people who make Calpol. Uh, but it's only available in the UK, unfortunately. Now, I'm from Cavan, so I'm only used to go over the border and, and buy it for me by the hand load. Um, it is a fantastic product. Brilliant teething gel. But it, you can get it. You can and get it. And you are a no to amber necklaces. I am an absolute no to amber necklaces. They're not safe. They're, they're, they're choking. I did try one with Alice because a few of my friends had them and they said they were a great success. So I went away and I bought an expensive one because I had the fear that, you know, it would break. And, yeah, and no. she had it. I don't think I had it on her neck. I think I put it on her foot, like, in you know, on her ankle. I put a sock yeah. over it. And to be honest, I think we're in the, it was in the car seat one day. It fell off and that was that. I, I didn't... Yeah, I think like, it I lasted think maybe three days for... and it, we'd lost it. So I was like, okay, that's, we're not, I'm not going yeah, down no, there. That's fate. Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to go for, let's say, homeopathic or natural teething remedies, essential oils all the way. So like there's brilliant um, essential oils, uh, cobaiba, uh, lavender. I love essential oils. I, could, I, I have piles of them here. And those rubbed on the jawline can be absolutely fantastic if you're looking for, let's say, more natural remedies about around teething. But like, I think there is um, a fear around like over medicating teething. Mm-hmm. If if you were in pain, I know with toothache, you would take paracetamol and neurofen. So if you're sure that your child is in pain with teething, don't wait until they go to bed only to go to give them their their teething relief do your pain management throughout the day because that's what you would do yeah. if you had a toothache yeah. you pain management responsibly obviously so i i do encourage like responsible pain management of teething don't just give the teething solution when they're going to bed make sure you're keeping on top of it all day long and if you're dealing with what sleep challenges and you think it's related to teething and you're dealing with it for two months solid and there's no tooth it's probably not teething okay good advice yeah yeah doesn't take that long for it to come through the gum <laughs> and erica i'm gonna have three questions to ask you mm-hmm. what would you tell your pregnant Go self oh i think i already said this one uh your baby is not going to do what the book says that is for sure one product that you couldn't live without uh i'm gonna name two um from a baby perspective, swaddle, 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 um, and runners. <laughs> I am a, I am a runner. I love to run. Before I went on this podcast, I made sure I got out for my, my I did 5K this evening. And I believe that a good set of runners for a new mum is a great gift. So if anybody's listening to this and you're thinking about what to buy a new mother, go buy her a good set of Asics runners because she's probably going to walk the feet of herself and protecting her knees and her joints is extremely important after having a baby. Um, so a good set of runners is really important. And what has been your magic moment? Uh, I, do you know, I really thought about this. My, my magic moment with my children was with Kate. And it was one day that had just gone really well and I realized that you know I, I, I had this I had this you know I, I, I was able for this and you know that that fear that I 
I had with Quinn, it, it wasn't there. And that was a real aha moment. It was a real aha moment. The other magic moment for me in relation to what I do now was working with my very, very good friend who had miracle twin boys. And she asked me for help with their sleep when they're about six months old. And, and I gave them all the help and the boys are four now and sleep great. And her husband said to me, Erica, you should be doing this for a living. And that was, that changed my life. That one sentence changed my life. Like a year later, I had given up my job of 10 years and I was doing babo full time. You can see that from your online presence in particular. I absolutely adore your reels and your TikToks and you do the most <laughs> amazing Thursday night Q&As that any, if you are pregnant, have you know, or think about getting pregnant or you're a friend of someone with a baby. I just think yeah. there's, because you learn so much from other people's questions. Yeah. Yeah, you do. The Q&As are so watched. Like, I actually can never get over the amount of views on stories when I do those Q&As once a month. And, like, I I never get to all the questions anymore. In the early days, I'd been really waiting for the questions to come in, like, you know, trickling in. But, like, I think last night's Q&A, there was over 300 questions. There was, and I wouldn't have but gotten to them Ergie, you answer so many of them. I do. I blast through them. Like if you could see me last night, like I was hunched over the desk in front of my phone um, and I was like literally firing through them. I don't look up for two hours. Like I literally don't look up for the two hours. I am trying to get to as many as I can. And often if I feel like I've answered one topic, I will go. If I feel like I've already gone, OK, I've answered that topic and I maybe I do get the same topics a lot. Yeah. Like there would be repetition, obviously, because people are all going through similar issues. I will try and seek out an unusual one so that there's one that might help the mammy who has the same question but hasn't asked a question. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, when you you're searching through these things, you're, oh, that's me. Oh, my God, that's me. But I didn't ask a question, but that's just answered my question. Totally. Yeah. Do you get me? So I, I do spend a bit of time kind of looking through it. And I do, because there's a lot of people who like send in a question every single month and they're one of the first in, <laughs> you know, like you see the same names club. It's funny. But I do, I love doing those. I love, I TikToks is a new thing that I'm, I'm doing and I am enjoying uh, doing them. And I just enjoy, I love the IGTVs that I do every Tuesday. You know, that tries to be something that, is a typical question to be answered and that that has become a library and I want people to go and look at that library uh, you know you nearly wouldn't need to work with me one-to-one -one if you just looked at that library of information there's so much in it and I try and keep them short so that you know you're not wading through video all the time because we our, our concentration levels are, are poor now as human beings. We, you know, we, we can't concentrate on things anymore. And I do get that. I do get that. And for anyone that is looking for you, your website is bobogue.com. And yes. your Instagram handle? So it's babogue underscore sleep. And it's babogue, B-A-B-O-G-U-E. That's correct, yes. Erica, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for bringing us all the gift of sleep. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of For All Mankind. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review and subscribe. If you would like to send me a message, please email forallmankind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And see you in the next episode of the podcast. Gardner Family Apothecary are the official sponsors of For All Mankind podcast. Caring for your sensitive skin with the Elav and Ovel solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel Silcox Base to Elav's Sensitive Beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty free, and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family, and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of their news, discounts, and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro.